So if you know last week's memory verse, I'm looking at you, bud. It's Matthew 4, 4. Go ahead and stand now. There we go. That's better. Now I can hear it. Go ahead and stand now if you know Matthew 4, 4. Or not. Ah. Is Stacy standing? Is Amy standing? I got two. I got three. Miss Darla, four. Anybody else? Going once. Going twice. Abby knows it because she's standing, right? She stayed up late last night memorizing Matthew 4 4 instead of watching the Kentucky game, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> All right, so, Miss Stacy, you got it? Fire away. That is correct. Very good. Well done. Who's next? Miss Amy? Very good. Excellent work. All right. Miss Darla? But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is correct. Very good. Mr. Stephen? And he answered, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Excellent. Great job. Give these guys a hand. Thank you much. Um, what'd you get? Yep. Mind if I trade you, Darla? Yep. I need a book review on that one. <clears throat> There we go. I was like, that's going to be a bit of an issue for me if I don't find that then. All right. So today we are in uh, Chapter 8 of Grudem's Systematic Theology, looking at uh, the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. So uh, sufficiency is something that we all know and experience and engage with every single day, multiple times a day, right? This is something that we all understand. Um, Every meal that you eat, you answer a sufficiency question. Is this enough, right? When do I stop? At what point have I gotten to where I need to get to? Uh, Yesterday, I did something that I have never done before. And it actually turned out pretty well. Um, I cooked something, something very specifically yesterday that I had never cooked before. Uh, No, I've cooked grilled cheese before, yes. I have done eggs. I do a mean omelet. It's pretty good. Um, The kids think my French toast is really good. I think it's kind of mediocre. They think it's fantastic, so that's just great. Uh, So yesterday, yesterday, uh, and, and Julie and I get picked on when we go out to eat with people and we order this particular thing because almost everybody that we go out to eat with, when we order this this particular way, says you're ruining that when you do that. Steak well done. done. Thank you very much. What's that? I did that to a grass-fed steak yesterday for the very first time, and it turned out great. I was extremely excited. Caleb even ate it. So I was like, get some meat, literally some meat on the boy's bones. So this would be good. I did not cover it with ketchup. It was pretty good. So, you mocking me back there? No, I'm impressed. You actually seared them and cooked them in the oven. Seared them and cooked them in the oven. That's exactly right. The internet is a beautiful thing, let me tell you. Okay? You can find all sorts of cool recipes on the internet. So, yesterday, I I had to trust a recipe 
to get sufficiency that I wanted because we like well-done steaks. I don't want, uh, I've read Leviticus too many times. You don't eat stuff with blood running through it. That is not cool. That's not the way you're supposed to eat your meat, okay? So I'm a biblical literalist. That's the way this works. Um, well done is what I was looking for. So we put them three minutes one side, flipped them, three minutes on the other side, flipped them, five minutes in the oven, pulled them out, checked them. Not well done. I was quite bitter at this because the website guaranteed, this handle's going to fly off and I'm going to hurt somebody. The website guaranteed that they would be done if I followed these directions and they were not done. So what did I do? Put them back in the oven? Okay. Put five more minutes back in the oven. Pull them back out? Oh, perfect. Perfect. Burnt to a crisp. It was great. Uh, 350 in the oven. Y'all are never com- coming to my house to have steak, are you? <laughs> no, it was okay. So, so here's my question. Here's my question. My question is, what was the last thing you engaged with sufficiency-wise? What was the last thing you said, okay, I made a judgment call and that is enough. That, that is sufficient for the objective for the job at hand. Somebody go. What do you got, Darla? I was informed on Thursday that I had been overfeeding my cat, which I did not think that a cup of food was too much for a cat. But a cup of food is too much for a cat. Yes, according to the vet. So he okay. told me how much was sufficient, and I didn't believe him. But for three days now, it has been sufficient. It has been sufficient. A third of a cup. A third of a cup is enough for a cat. I am glad I am not a cat. Because <laughs> that is not sufficient for Jim. So. Cool. Somebody else, sufficient story. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, Thursday we had um, someone teach us the steps and the timing. High-level disinfecting high of level medical supplies. Uh-huh. High-level disinfecting of a certain piece of the medical equipment that I'm responsible for. And so... Is this at your house or is it your workplace? Work. Okay. Wow. Was it a high level of sufficiency? There was a lot to do to get to that. I think I wrote down like about 15 steps. It, it sounds to me like there may be a difference in Michelle's level of sufficiency for the cleanliness of her children <laughs> and your level of sufficiency for the cleaning of medical supply that someone could die if it's not clean, right? Yeah, okay. All right. So, it was sufficient enough for Kentucky to win by one. Yes, it was. So, so I, I want you to understand that sufficiency is something that can float according to the need. Does this make sense? This, this is kind of something we just inherently understand, so I just want to lay that foundation before we kind of get into today. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
And I'll kind of start talking a little bit here about the sufficiency of Scripture while you're turning there. So specifically, the sufficiency of Scripture is answering the question, is the Bible enough for knowing what God wants us to think or to do? Is the Bible enough? Right? So my three minutes on one side, three minutes on the other side, five minutes in, five minutes in again was enough. And some of you would say that was too much, much, but it was enough for us. That was sufficient there. So Grudem defines sufficiency this way. Here's your first blanks if you're blank fillers. The sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contained all the words of God He intended His people to have at each stage of redemptive history and that it now contains, here's your blanks, everything we need for God to tell us God to tell us for salvation, for trusting Him perfectly, and for obeying Him perfectly. It's everything we need. So where do we get that definition from? Well, a couple different verses. They're actually all listed on your handout if you don't have a Bible. But 2 Timothy 3, uh, verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. So we know that the Scriptures... We've kind of already talked about this. The Scriptures are the basis for salvation. They have to be included in that component. That they may well make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So let's put, let's put all activity into two big buckets, okay? There is activity that takes place on earth that God wants us to be in alignment with Him on. Would you agree? While we're here, we should be in alignment with what God wants us to be doing here. That, I'm going to put that in the every good work bucket. Okay, That's the stuff we're supposed to be doing here, the good works we're supposed to be doing here. There's also a life that we will live that will not be here, that will be in eternity, that our soul will live forever, right? And we have to be right with God there as well. That's the salvation piece. So... These three verses say that Scripture is sufficient for the salvation and it is sufficient for the every good work, that you have to have Scripture to complete both of those pieces. So for everything we will do in the afterlife and for everything we will do in this life, Scripture is sufficient. Well, that's a lot. (laughs) That's a whole lot, right? I, I don't know what other thing you can point to that would be able to fulfill both of those requirements? I don't know. I don't think there's anything else that fits in that bucket. I think that's it. I think it's in a bucket by itself. So let's keep going. Look at a couple more verses here. James chapter 1, verse 8. <clears throat> I'm sorry, excuse me. 1 Peter 1, 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So one of the requirements of sufficiency of doing the work that God wants us to be able to do is that whatever it is that's going to fuel us for this, whatever it is that's going to be the source that provides this sufficiency has got to be able to endure anything that can be thrown at it. Because you don't have something that's very sufficient if it can fall away or if it can deteriorate or if it can crumble or if it can no longer have its power at some point. Now, uh, some of you know I work for a power company, and there are several different types of uh, generating units that we have. 
Uh, one is a uh, gas-based unit. It's basically a great big jet engine. You pour a whole bunch of gasoline into it, you start it up, takes off. It's great. Generates a whole lot of power really quick. Now there's a coal unit. You bring in uh, railroad truck load after railroad truck load after railroad truck load of coal. You burn the coal, it goes. These things are boom. I mean, boom. Move right along. There's another kind of unit, nuclear unit. Nuclear unit is a, uh, a different kind of animal, right? Would you agree? Yes? Okay. Um, different levels of uh, respect and different levels of problems that you can have if you don't handle things properly, right? If you drop a piece of coal in a coal plant, you got a black mark on the floor. Well, the floor's already black at a coal plant, if you didn't know this already. But um, if you're at a hydro plant and water splashes on you, Okay, you're wet. You'll dry off. If you're at a nuclear plant and the nuclear fuel, uh, what kind of distance would you need to be away? Yes. Twelve feet of water or boron or lead away. Otherwise, I hope you've made your peace with God and your family, right? Because things are not going to go well for you. There's a whole different level of engagement that you have to have with this particular material. Now, one of the things that you do when you put fuel into a nuclear reactor is that that fuel is sufficient for a certain period of time. And then you have to refuel that unit. Now, at a coal plant, you're just constantly pumping coal. I mean, it's just the, the railroad trucks almost never stop coming to a coal plant. They just dump it in and dump it in and dump it in. For a hydro plant, the water's running over those turbines. The water's running over those turbines. At a gas plant, you turn them off. You turn them on whenever you need to. At a nuclear plant, once you load that fuel in, you back away. And you let it do its thing. It's sufficient for a certain period of time. And it is incredibly efficient, too. But at some point, that reaction stops. And you've got to go move things around so that you can create that reaction again. It's only sufficient for a period of time. So... What's the most sufficient thing that you've ever bought? Here's my question for you. The thing that you've bought that, you know what, it continues to be sufficient. It is just, every time I go toward it, boom, it does the job. It gets it done. It makes it happen. It works. So I'll give you my example from growing up. My example from growing up is my dad's craftsman tools. He would only buy craftsman tools because they did the job. They just flat out did the job. He's never had one break. That's kind of impressive, you know. Cool. So that's his craftsman tool. So what's your example of something that it works every time you, you reach out and try to use it? Coffee Julie's coffee maker. Yes. And praise God for that. Yes. I love you, dear. What do you got? Your wedding ring? Ooh, wow. I'd give her a peck on the cheek for that one. That was awesome. Cool. What else you got? Your sewing machine. How long you had your sewing machine? Twenty years. That's a pretty good sewing machine. How long you had your watch? Eighteen years. Eighteen years. Never replaced that. And it sat in a drawer for like five years. That's impressive. Wow. 
That's pretty cool. What else you got? What's something that's sufficient? What do you think, Lynn? I got a TV I bought uh, 22 years ago. It's a little Sony uh, 13 inch, still cranks. 22 years ago. That's impressive. Yeah, that's awesome. Holy cow. 22 years ago. It weighs about 200 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. So it doubles as a paperweight, so that's fantastic. That's, that's fantastic. So I got a question for you. In 220 years, we'll just multiply it times 10. You think that thing's still going to be working? Okay. Let, let's get a little crazier. Let's say in 2,200 years, you think that TV is still going to be working? You don't think so? So it won't endure? Okay. What do you think about your watch? 2,000 years from now, that battery's still going to be cranking out? It's still going to be good? Miss Darla, 2,000 years? I don't think that sewing machine's going to make it. This book you guys are holding in your hands? Sufficient 2,000 years ago. It's going to be sufficient 2,000 years from now if Jesus didn't come back. And at the end of all eternity, when we're ready to count by some other number than is bigger than what we know, it's still going to be sufficient. See, sufficiency is in part determined by duration and durability and the ability to endure whatever is thrown at it. It's a big deal with sufficiency. So let's keep going. <clears throat> so the next section here, uh, Grudem says, we can find all that God has said on particular topics, and we can find answers to our questions. So I've got a, another rhetorical question for you. Um, many of you guys know that I like to read. I, I read a lot about different things and whatnot. Um, people started to write down their thoughts on Christianity and on their beliefs in God a very, very long time ago. Um, right after Jesus died... Uh, some folks that eventually became known as the church fathers started to write down their thoughts and some sermons and some ideas, and those writings endure. We have hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of them, and they are incredibly rich and incredibly helpful. And if you fast forward through the, through the centuries, more was added and more was added and more was added, and it was really a very slow pace until the printing press came out. And then when the printing press came out, anybody could publish and the pace really kicked up at that point. And then you began to have uh, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 books a year about theology coming out. And then multiple printing presses, and they got better, and they got better, and they got better. And you had hundreds and thousands of books about God and theology coming out every year. And then this thing called the Internet happened, and Microsoft Word happened, and anybody can write anything and publish it nearly anywhere. And now you have hundreds of thousands and millions of documents being generated and being generated. And sometimes I get just a little bit overwhelmed going, where do I start trying to figure out where the good stuff is? Has anybody ever, that has ever bothered them? Yes? Let me tell you something. I got a secret. You ready? All the other stuff is helpful. Sure. We'll put it in the helpful category, but it is not in the sufficient category. The only thing that's in the sufficient category is the scriptures, and there's nothing else. Sometimes you'll hear somebody describe a book as a must-read. No. 
There's only one book in that category. That's the Bible. That's the must-read. Everything else, that's a nice too. That's a helpful. That's good. But everything else is a nice. It's not a must. The uh, Grudem says the Bible alone saves us from the endless task of searching through all the writings of Christians throughout history or through all the teachings of the church or through all the subjective feelings and impressions that come to our minds from day to day in order to find what God requires of us. It's a beautiful thing. So, uh, go down to the next section. It says, The amount of Scripture was given was sufficient at each stage of redemptive history. So here's a quote for you. It helps us to determine, uh, it helps us to understand how God could tell His people that His words to them were sufficient at many different points in the history of redemption and how He, that's the blank, how He could nevertheless add to those words later. <laughs> now, one of the things that God puts inside the Scripture, if you start in Genesis and look all the way to Revelation, Toward the end of the first five books of the Bible, there's a little comment that God told Moses to write that basically said, don't add your words to this book. Cool. All right. Got the message. About halfway through in the Psalms, there's a warning, don't add your words to this book. At the very end in Revelation chapter 22, the last few words of the entire Bible is a really stern, kind of scary threat, if you will, that says, if you mess with the words of this book, there's bad things. This is the Jim Fleming paraphrase version. There's bad things going to happen if you add to or take away from. Now, the question is, how can that statement be true back in Deuteronomy? in Psalm, and in Revelation. Isn't that a contradiction? Not if what was already there. The Word, but it was here. It was there in the beginning in heaven, but I'm talking here on earth. How's that not a contradiction? This is a, a very common uh, thought argument that a non-believer would bring toward a believer. So I bring this up on purpose for you. The, the reason is, if man adds to those words, that's a problem. But who added to those words? God added to those words. Does God get to add to his own words? I think we should give him that option. Yes. I think we should. Have you ever been talking to your kids and, uh, no, 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 you can't tell me anymore. You're done. How would that go over with you? Your child told you that. No, no, you're done. No more. No more. <laughs> no, no. I'm the parent. I get to decide when I'm done. And I'm not done talking to you. Maybe, is this, this sounds familiar. That familiar. Anybody resonate with that? Yeah, God wasn't done talking. What he had given Moses at that point in history was sufficient for what those people needed at that time. And then when we needed more, he revealed more. And when we needed more, he revealed more. <coughs> And God came and sent Jesus to live amongst us, and he sent people to write down what happened and to tell us about that experience, and that was enough because that's all we needed because that's what we've got. Does this make sense? Okay, sufficiency is a big deal. It can give us a lot of peace about things. The next blank is God has always taken the initiative in revealing things to us. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So there's a couple 
uh, practical applications of this. Um, this is the last chapter in this section. So he's kind of summing up a whole lot of things here. But number one, the sufficiency of Scripture should engage us, encourage us as we try to discover what God would have us to think about a particular doctrinal issue or to do in a particular situation. Right? Would you agree? Okay. But what about those places where Scripture is silent? What about those places where Scripture is silent? What do we do then? What's that? Follow the two rules. That's a pretty good answer. But what if I want to know if I should have... Um, no, where's something that Scripture is silent? Just throw something out. Where's something that Scripture is silent? We make up a lot of these, by the way. Areas where Scripture is silent and we speak. Whether women should work outside the home. Does the Scripture say women shall or shall not work outside the home? It doesn't say. So what should we say about that? If the scripture is silent, what should we say about that? Nothing. Where the scripture doesn't speak, we have no authority to speak. You know how many church splits that would have stopped in the history of the world? How many friendships that would have stayed restored and maintained? If the scripture is silent, then we're silent. Mm. That's a hard one, isn't it? Because, boy, we like to fill in the gaps. Oh, we like to fill in the gaps, right? Number two, the sufficiency of Scripture reminds us that we are to add nothing to Scripture and that we are to consider no other writings of equal value to Scripture, not even Grudem's or Fleming's or Jared's or Smith's or Davenport. Does he write anything? I get text messages, but that's about it. Okay. Um, or MacArthur, or Piper, or Spurgeon, or Graham, or anybody. There is no other book on par with Scripture. It is sufficient. Number three, the sufficiency of Scripture also tells us that God does not require us to believe anything about Himself or His redemptive work that is not found in Scripture. This is a beautifully relieving thing. Okay, This takes pressure off of you in thinking that you have to go study all of these other books to really understand God and know Him well. Because you don't. There's one. There's only one in this category that's a must-read. That's how we get to know God. That's how we know what to, how to follow Him. That's how we engage with Him in life. Does that make sense? Okay. Number four, the sufficiency of Scripture shows us that no modern revelations from God are to be placed on a level equal to Scripture in authority. It's a slightly different take than number two. Number five, with regard to Christian, living the Christian life, the sufficiency of Scripture reminds us that nothing is sin that is not forbidden by Scripture, either explicitly or by implication. We don't get to declare something sin because we don't like it. That's the way it works. Number six, the sufficiency of Scripture also tells us that nothing is required of us by God 
that is not commanded in Scripture either explicitly or by implication. We have one book to follow. And number seven, the sufficiency of Scripture reminds us that in our doctrinal and ethical teaching, we should emphasize what Scripture emphasizes and be content with what God has told us in Scripture. Now, I'm going to show you my other example today. My other example today You know what this is. It's a blender. How many of you know what this is designed for? Blending, Blending yes. <laughs> At my house, I don't know what Julie uses it for. I use it for one thing and one thing only. Milkshakes. <laughs> you better believe it. Now, this is not the first blender that we've bought in our marriage. This is probably the, I would imagine so, this is the least sufficient thing that in our home that we've ever had. <laughs> Uh, they keep breaking, probably because I put way too much ice cream in there and expect it to do its thing. Um, over the years, and I have noticed this, by the way, uh, over the years, the size of the container keeps getting smaller. So last night, I did something that I thought would be a good example for this morning. Uh, I did two of these for my milkshake last night. And filled up a cup this size and decided that what was normally sufficient wasn't going to be sufficient anymore. Guess what happened? I got sick because I decided to change the rules. And I got so sick that I really didn't get to enjoy any of that milkshake. I'll just leave it at that for you, okay? Now, think about this. So my example that I was, I was going to be so tickled pink and so excited that, yeah, because, you know, God's Word's got so much. It's, it's, way, it's got way more content than we think it does, so drink up and this. And the reality is what I realized is that when we think that what is really sufficient isn't sufficient and try to add more to it, we only get sick as a result. That's the problem. And we do this constantly, Right? We do this constantly. We want to share this. Oh, this is a great website. Oh, this is a great book. Oh, this is a great blog. Oh, this is a great tweet. Oh, this is a great insert whatever here. And we go, that was awesome. And we go, oh, yeah, in the Bible. No. The scripture is sufficient. That is what we need. Does that make sense? Yeah? Yes? Okay, good. So, Got the questions for personal application there. I, I had to abbreviate those. There's, there was like 165 of those this week, so I didn't want to have a small book to hand out. Uh, next week's memory passage is Psalm 119.1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. The hymn for today is How Firm a Foundation. I'm going to read through this for you. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, you who unto Jesus for refuge have fled. Fear not, I am with thee, you'll be not dismayed. I, I am thy God, and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of woe shall not thee overflow. For I will be with thee thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace, here it is, all sufficient, shall be thy supply. 
Thy flame shall not hurt thee, I only design, thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. In down to old age all my people shall prove my sovereign, eternal, unchangeable love. And when hoary heads shall their temples adorn, like lambs shall they still in my bosom be born. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. The scripture is sufficient. It is enough. It is what we need. It is not more than we need. It is what we need. So that was the first big bucket. You remember the first week that I did this? Had the buckets on the table. We're going to pour information into these buckets. That's the first big bucket. That's the word of God. Okay? We're going to do that for Jesus Christ. We're going to do that for the Holy Spirit. We're going to do that for God himself. We're going to do that for the church. We're going to do that for the future. We're going to do that for things eternal. There's a lot more coming with this, and it's going to take us a couple years to do it, so it's a good study. Now, next week, we're going to do a summary of this entire series, and we're going to talk about how we're going to do Easter at Coolidge and get engaged and do a couple things there. So make sure you come back next week. Got a lot of fun stuff happening. Uh, and if you'll make sure that your name is somewhere on that uh, handout at the, uh, in the middle of the table uh, at the bottom there, And then if you'll share your prayer requests, pray as a group, and you are dismissed. Thanks for coming to Sunday School.